was in a meeting on Sunday morning with a very small circle of some of you, and um, the Lord really met us on Sunday and confirmed his word out of the mouth of multiple witnesses in ways that made us feel like um, that the message he was trying to get across to us in that setting uh, was for much more than just the people that were sitting there. And I think that's always the case uh, when God is speaking, because he intends for that ripple to go out um, through the people that are hearing his word. But I also have had a feeling all week that maybe the Lord would would uh, allow me or any others that he may anoint here tonight to communicate a little bit of what he spoke to us there on, on Sunday morning. And um, Brother Shahar was not in that meeting uh, Sunday morning, but he just quoted one of the main passages that we talked about there, where Jesus says in John 12 that, uh, that we must walk while we have the light, lest the darkness overtake us. And I actually looked up that word uh, today, and um, it doesn't just mean to catch up with uh, somebody, like closing the distance. It does mean that, but it means more than that. It actually can be translated to seize or to lay hold of. And it's used in some other places, for example, where uh, a demon seizes hold of a boy and throws him in the fire, and, and Jesus is, is trying to bring healing to someone who has been overtaken, overwhelmed. It means to seize hold and lay hold in such a way as to take possession of something. And so what's remarkable to me about that passage is that Jesus is saying that the darkness is an active force, isn't he? It's not just a matter of, well, at some point the sun is going to go down and I guess we need to finish before it gets dark. There is something that is planned. There is something that has intention you know, about this darkness that would try to seize hold of us and all of the earth in, in seasons such as we have been called to live in. And we talked a little bit in that meeting about the times that we're in. And <clears throat> when I think about what I feel like the devil is trying to do in the world right now, it seems clear to me and there may be much I don't see, but it seems clear to me that a big part of his tactic and purpose right now is isolation, separation, stagnation, frustration, depression, right? I mean, isn't that really besetting the whole world on a scale that has maybe not been seen in anyone's lifetime in, in this room. Amen. At least not in the way that it's happening now. And um, that's really kind of always been part of his scheme, hasn't it? That he is seeking to, to kill and to destroy, to lie and deceive, to do whatever he can to get people away from the sources of strength and love and purpose, meaning in their lives, and to get them discouraged 
to get them feeling like they don't know up from down or when we're going to be able to resume life as normal, quote-unquote, ever again. And he fights this war of attrition, wearing us down, knowing that we're human, that we're dust. He attempts constantly to just wear us out. And it's not just, I say us, because it's not just those out in the world that don't know God that he would desire to affect in this way, is it? It's us right here. He doesn't want us to meet together. He doesn't want us sharing his word. He wants to stifle and quench by any means available to him the word of God that would go forth and change the world and reach people like Brother Joe said and so forth. He wants to do anything he can to disrupt that. And when I think about what would be his most effective tool to do that among us, well, maybe I should ask the question, what do you think of when you think of what could be his most effective way to kill our witness, to kill our ability to fulfill our calling and our function, his purpose for us in this world. What would it be? To live in fear. Fear itself is an isolator, isn't it? Disunity, Brother Joe said. How many agree with, with that? Quite a few. I think that he knows if he can cause us to lose the love that we have for each other, then how on earth are we going to reach anybody else? Right? What do we have to give? If it's not real, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. So there's something about that love that he is going to seek to fracture, to dilute, water down, and to just cool it off until we're not sure where we're going or what we're doing. And you've all probably heard teaching before about the, how the Bible paints us a picture of the atmosphere of the end times. And the atmosphere of the time of the end is one of deception, isn't it? It's one where things become increasingly gray. They're not clear. This has been the serpent's task from the beginning. At the, when God in the Garden of Eden said, it's black and white, you can eat from these, but don't eat of this one or you're going to die. And here comes that serpent to bring some gray, to bring some doubt and some second-guessing and some suspicion and some question about the motives and, and division in the relationship. Divide the trust between the two people and between God and the people. And just by losing our, our balance, losing our clarity on what this is about. Thank you, Jesus. And it's still his plan. It is still his tactic and his method today. And some of you may have noticed, many of you probably noticed, 
Um, Saturday night, did you see the sunset? The sun, when it was setting on Saturday night, was so dark. It was like a blood red. And you could look right at it when it was high in the sky. And the reason for that, I'm, I understand, is that the wildfires that have been burning in the western United States uh, have created such a cloud of smoke over the entire western United States, and, and the edge of that drifted over us on Saturday. And it's been really bad up in uh, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, fires in Washington, uh, um, Oregon mainly, and California. You've, I'm sure you've heard about it. And it's been a record year for wildfires. Largest wildfire in history in California, I'm told. And more wildfires already this season than in any season in 100 years. The western United States is on fire. And they've gotten some reprieves, but it's looking bad again. And uh, 1.10% of the population of Oregon was, had been evacuated from their homes. It's a pretty big deal. And visibility, and I, my son sent me some pictures from, from Deary where visibility is, you know, reduced to a mile or something from the smoke that's from fires a thousand miles away. And um, I think that's what we were getting. And it, I woke up Sunday morning thinking about that and all the passages in the Bible that talk about the coming of the day of the Lord, you know, and how it shall be in the end. Isaiah talks about it. Joel talks about it. Peter quotes Joel in the New Testament in the book of Acts about it. Revelation talks about it. Zechariah talks about it, about how there will be signs in the heavens above and on the earth below, and there will be blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun will be darkened and diminished, and the moon will be turned to blood before the coming of the great day of the Lord. It's, it's a common theme this, that the lights are going dim, that it's going to become gray. The clarity that comes with the light when we walk in the light is going to become gray as, those, as the great lights are going out. And uh, it, that got me thinking about the times that we live in, and I think that's exactly what our enemy wants to bring in is smoke and fog and confusion. And he wants to bring you right inside our attitudes, right inside our thoughts. Maybe these are some of the little things Brother Joe was ministering to us about. You know, it can be all the smallest things that Sister Brother Evan was referencing, the sharing with him, I've never been more determined to overcome the envy and the strife and the jealousy and all those things that divide us, that diminish the light that is within us. And I want to read you a few passages in connection to this, if I may. When Jesus speaks about the end times in Matthew 24, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you. That's what he starts with. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Luke's version adds, uprisings or disturbances 
We might could say demonstrations or riots or what have you. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, or literally, it, in the Greek, it's ethnos against ethnos, ethnic group against ethnic group, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences or plagues, or it could be translated pandemics. And earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of labor pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is a pretty bleak picture. And yet when he culminates this warning, listen to what he goes to that is the end result of all of this. And then, many will be offended. The word is scandalizo in the Greek. It means to be made to stumble. Jesus would say, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There's going to be something in the air that makes people want to get offended. They will betray one another. And will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of most will grow cold. That's the end product of the enemy's design on the culture, and I would submit to you on the church. That's his game plan that we would become offended, that we would betray each other, and that our love would grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. That made me think of how Paul says, love endures all things. Love is never going to fail. So if we'll hang on to our love, we're going to be able to endure to the end, aren't we? Timothy describes something similar, or Paul does when he's writing to Timothy, excuse me. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Anti-love, really. Selfishness. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. You want to join in the spirit of the end times? Just entertain some ingratitude. It'll get you a long ways. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, or covenant breakers, it can be translated. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. We've talked recently in, in some other contexts about something Brother Blair references in the book, What We Believe. And he talks about aspects that are commonly looked to in religion. There's a word, orthodoxy, that means the right words, literally. The right beliefs, the right doctrines, some might say. 
And this is held up as paramount by a lot of religions. You've got to believe the right thing. And of course, we would, we would agree. But then there's also orthopraxy, which means right practice, right action, right conduct, that you've got to live out in your actions what you say with your words or think in your head. And it's not until you combine those that anything is becoming visible, is it? But it's really not enough, Brother Blair goes on to say, to stop with those two. Say the right things, believe the right things, do the right actions. There's also orthopathy, which means the right feeling. And if you don't have the right feeling, the right motivation, the right inspiration, then what is the other stuff ever really going to mean to you? Another way of saying that would be to say that you could have all knowledge and understand all mysteries. You could have faith to move mountains. You could have such strong moral principles that you'd be willing to be burned at the stake for them. But if you don't have love, what is it going to profit you? There is something that we've got to hang on to called love. <laughs> that if we lose it, we don't have anything. We have an empty shell. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to last forever, right? Where there's prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there's tongues, they're going to cease. Knowledge is going to pass away. All the gifts, all the works are not going to endure, but love is going to endure forever. These three are going to remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I think it's always a sign of apostasy when somebody loses their first love. I think it's often the first thing that happens. Before the actions start to really change, something in the heart starts to die. They become fault finders. They become the judges. They become everybody's critic. First in the little things, until those little things accumulate, and no one can do anything right for you because you've lost your love that could cover a multitude of sins and hold us together and make us shelter in a time of storm. The feeling is gone. I'm going to talk about Isaac and Helen for a second, and they're going to have to just love endures all things and suffers long, so they're going to have to love me. But, you know, well, I thought of them when I thought about first love. And I thought, you know, do you, do you think that they are unaware that the other has faults? Do they really believe that they're going to marry a perfect person? I hope not. I don't believe so. I think they're well aware of that. Do you think it's, it's really affecting their relationship right now? Not, not from my view, it's not. <laughs> I don't think it's the focus of anything right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there can't be some bumps and, and everything. But there is such a compelling attraction and feeling and care 
and concern and, and such, that whatever the things are, there is an overwhelming faith that whatever it is, we're going to work it out. I mean, <laughs> with this kind of love, we're going to overcome, we're going to endure, right? Am I right? Okay. But you can lose that, can't you? Amen. And that's why we make commitments and covenants that they're going to make here in a couple of weeks that we're not going to lose it, that we're going to intentionally make that our highest priority, that we're going to recognize that the greatest and most important commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that the second is like it, that we love each other as we love ourselves. That our lives and our feelings, our motivations are so bound up in one another that when my brother hurts, I hurt. When he has a victory, I've had a victory. When he needs prayer, I'm going to pray. Whatever is going on, failure is not an option. Division is not an option. And I'm not going to allow those petty differences and rivalries and strife and whatever to enter into this picture and ruin this love that means everything to me. And I think that's the enemy's plan, is to erode that. To get us focused on something else. It may be doing really important stuff. We may be busy moving mountains. We may be busy gaining understanding. We may be busy serving in the kitchen, like Martha or whatever. And it may all be needed. It may all be good. But what is the most important thing that we have got to uphold and cherish and watch for in ourselves and in others above all else? God, what is the feeling here? What's the feeling between me and, and my brother on the job? What's the feeling between... Me and my children, me and my parents, me and my spouse? Or is it, well, I mean, I already said I was sorry. Or on the other hand, well, they already said they were sorry. I, I don't know. Uh, it didn't feel sincere to me, but let's, we'll just keep going. Or whatever. It can take a thousand forms, but we know if we pay attention, if we care enough, we know when we're losing it. And if we don't catch it in the infant stages, in the small things that God is talking to us about here, we're, down our, we're on our way down that slippery slope. We're on our way into the fog and into the smoke where the lights go out. Listen to these passages. I think they're saying the same thing. In light of, this is Hebrews 10, talking about what we should do as we see the last day approaching. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're going to need it more. Safeguarding this thing called love and right feeling between us, we're going to need it more as we see the day approaching. 1 Peter 4, Brother Eric shared this with us Sunday. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, 
Be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have a fervent love for one another. He's trying to tell us how to endure to the end and be saved, folks. Above all, have a fervent love for one another. If you've got that, it's going to lead us into everything else we're going to need. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining and grumbling. Paul writes really the same thing, emphasizing in just the same terms. Colossians 3, As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's what keeps us on the course, keeps us walking in the light, keeps us moving into more and more of His life and love. Thank you, Jesus. I think these passages are trying to communicate to us what is the most potent antidote or anti-venom for our enemy's plan in these days. He's got us off at home all the time, doesn't he? He's got us literally six feet apart all the time. He's outlawed hugs. <laughs> Amen. No more hugs. No more handshakes. No more getting together. No more singing. They really blast that one. We're going to have a super spreader event if we sing. No joy. He's trying to outlaw love, folks. Praise God that our love is not dependent only on hugs and handshakes or even on singing, is it? But are we going to make the most of every opportunity? We are. We're going to walk in wisdom, but we've got to redeem the time. That's an element that appears over and over in the Scriptures when it comes to the end, and it's just what that passage we already quoted said. You better walk while it's light. Because there's something else that wants to seize hold of us. Thank you, Jesus. Paul talks about the end in 2 Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the understanding of the truth. Is that what he says? No. He doesn't say because they did not receive proper teaching. He doesn't say because they did not adopt appropriate moral principles to live by. He says because they did not receive the love of the truth. Amen. And we know that the truth is more than concepts, isn't it? Jesus said, I am the truth and the way, and the life. And if we love the head of the body, we ought to love the rest of the body too, don't you think? And after all, Paul told Timothy, I believe it is, that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. You can't love the truth as an abstraction. Oh, I just love principles and, and you know, verities. <laughs> Without loving the author of truth, 
the source of truth, the living manifestations of truth that He has sent into our lives. So what is the key to avoiding the strong delusion and believing the lie and being deceived and never even knowing that it happened? we got to have love. So they perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Jesus warns in Luke 21, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation. It's the same word used when it says that the disciples' eyes were heavy with sleep. With dissipation, with drunkenness, and the anxieties or the cares of this life, so that that day will spring upon you suddenly like a trap. What is this? This is, again, describing the war of attrition on our souls. The cares of this life, dissipation. You can just picture the love slowly draining through the cracks of breaches that we don't bother to fix, of attention we don't bother to pay to relationships that we have. Drunkenness, you know, the whole effect of alcohol is that you get into a stupor and a fog. Your reaction time is slow. You become a procrastinator. You may be friendly enough, but you're walking around in a fog and you don't know what you're doing. Your senses, your sensitivity has been impaired. 1 Thessalonians 5 But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Same thing Jesus said, labor pains. And they shall not escape, but you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so that that day should overtake you like a thief. It's the same word that the darkness would overtake you if you don't walk in the light. You, brothers, are not in darkness, so the day is not going to overtake you or surprise you. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's our armor. These three are going to remain when everything else is gone, faith, hope, and love. Therefore, comfort each other. And edify each other, just as you are also doing. Do you see a pattern emerging here? God is trying to tell us what the most important thing is that we need to pay attention to. Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For all the commandments are summed up in this saying, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And do this knowing the time. Do what? Well, what he just said. Love your neighbor as yourself, knowing the time. That it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. 
The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. I already quoted this one to you a little bit. It's the same thing in Ephesians 4 and then into 5. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Does this sound like a battle plan? I mean, we're going to defeat the forces of the enemy. You know, here they come, Armageddon. What's our plan, brothers and sisters? Let's be tender-hearted. Let's be kind to one another. Because if we have that, nothing is going to stand against us. The rulers of, the world, of this world don't understand it. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They don't know that this love is going to win in the end. That's why we've got to hang on to it. It's the only thing that is going to endure to the end. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as sons of the light. Awake, you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light, and see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. How is he telling us to redeem the time? To walk in love, to do exactly what Jesus did and follow in his steps, to be imitators of God, and to forgive as he forgave. The new NIV says, make the most of every opportunity, knowing that the days are evil. And I would submit to you that we can think about the fair, and, and we should, it's in nine weeks. But there's a real trap, I believe, in getting stuck in a mindset that says, well, right now we can't really do the things that are going to you know, reach people and be important because we can't do the normal activities that we used to do, so we're just going to endure and we're just going to hang on and rest and wait until such a time that the powers that be We'll rearrange things, and we are once again released to do what we used to do. I don't think so. I think that's a recipe for dissipation of power. That's a recipe for not being ready when the door suddenly swings open and we've been sleeping. We failed to exercise those muscles, and so we've gotten flaccid. You know, my wife was telling me the other day that people who are... Uh, laid up in the hospital for even for pretty short times and don't walk I'm sure Sister Sarah could explain this better than me there can be nothing wrong with their bones with their muscles and they can't walk at all and it is a tremendous process of rehabilitation and pain and, and re-strengthening even though nothing was wrong, all that happened was nothing. 
And I think that's part of the message here. All you have to do to be taken unawares in that day is nothing. All you have to do to be unprepared is nothing. Whether it's unprepared for the, the snare of the devil at just the right time to pull you off the team, or even if it's just unprepared for your role in letting your light shine because you haven't been exercising in the faith. Amen? Exercising your senses to discern between good and evil by reason of use. We have our senses sharpened so we cannot be in weight mode. That's what I'm saying. We say, well, God, I don't know what to do. Well, there's, some, there's a lot of real small things that are not so small, and that's what I believe the Lord is telling us tonight. We've got all these people around us. We say, well, yeah, but that's just, you know, that's just my spouse, you know. You know, the world is falling apart because people are at home doing nothing. Sister Amanda is uh, in contact with some firefighters that she befriended a while back in some of her paramedic training up in Dallas, and they stay in touch with her, and they told her this has been the most horrible season in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they said our calls to go deal with domestic violence have doubled during the pandemic. Everybody's home with each other. They're home from work. The kids are home from school. And people can't take it. We're bored. We're not entertained. We're not doing business as usual. We're worried about the finances. And it's just creating this cauldron of ill feelings and scapegoating and blaming other people and fault-finding that just... What a mess. And our enemy wants that same dynamic to seep right in amongst our ranks. And we say, oh, we thank thee, Father, that we are not sinners like them. But just a little dilution is going to go a long ways, especially in comparison to the, the great task that I believe God has called us to as his representatives, as we've already said here today, it's needed more now than ever. God, help us find ways to communicate the answers to people. If it's not a fair, let's find some other way. It's a unique time. It's an extraordinary time. And I believe it calls for an extraordinary love, an extraordinary wisdom and grace and initiative to find ways to communicate the message. Amen. To make the most of every opportunity, knowing that the days are evil. Let me read you what the one Brother Shahar was quoting. Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Amen. He wants to rob us of our direction, of our purpose, of the meaning of life, of why we're here, of what we're doing. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. That you can become a, a force of light, not just receiving it when it comes to you, but that you become a walking lamp. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but then he said, you are the light of the world. God, help us find the lampstands to put that light on so that it can't be hid.
we got to find them. And if they're as close as right at home, however small they are, let's find them. But we got to have a light to put on them. And that light is going to be as bright as the love that burns in our hearts for one another. Really, it's a theme that continues all through John, and I'm not reading you all those passages today. But Jesus talks about it continuously, walking in the light. And then John picks it up again in his epistle, and I'll just read a couple more to you, and I'll be finished. He begins his, his epistle saying, his first epistle saying, This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, relationship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Did you catch anything in that? Somebody knows that scripture well enough to catch that. Amen. I misread it to you on purpose because I want you to see a point here. I will tell you anytime I misread a scripture to you on purpose. Okay? He doesn't say, if we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship with him. He has just said, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, then we lie. But if we walk in the light, then he says, then we'll have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse us, cleanses us, ongoing tense, of every sin. He speaks of him as if it's the same thing. As if our fellowship with one another is one and the same as our fellowship with him. And I think... The, the epistle of John goes on to make that pretty clear, doesn't he? In, in a bunch of different ways. That if we, you know, claim to love God who we can't see, but we don't love our brother, we're liars. He is equating it intentionally over and over and over again and saying, this is connected to the cleansing of your sins. This thing called right relationship and the love in your heart for your brothers and sisters. 1 John 2. A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Oh, great. I thought you said it was getting darker. But here he's promising us this is getting brighter. He, well, he just said, this is true in him and in you. He said in Ephesians, you once were darkness. But now you are light. Become sons of light. So in us, the light is supposed to be getting brighter. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Scandal on. Jesus said, In the end, many will be offended. And now he's saying, if you love your brother, there will be no scandal on in your life. No cause for offense. You won't be taking offense, and you won't be causing offense. You'll be preserving this most important anti-venom. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness 
has blinded his eyes. If you don't have love, you don't know where you're going. The play has lost its plot, and life has lost its meaning. I remember Brother Ossie ministering a few years ago, something that always stayed with me. I think he quoted this passage and said, your brother is where you're going. And I think he quoted some other ones where Paul talks about, all things are for your sakes. All things are for the sake of the body. All the suffering that we go through, all the things that we speak and that we do, it's for the sake of our brothers. So if it isn't about that, if it isn't about loving one another, what is it for? And that's exactly what starts to happen to people when they lose their love. You lose the feeling. You lose the inspiration. You start letting that little division get in your heart, little judgments. Before you know it, you're asking yourself, I don't even get all this. What is the vision anyway? And for you, there isn't one. And without it, people perish. Because the vision is not, the vision that is going to sustain us through the times of the end is not just, well, let's get off the grid and grow a bunch of wheat and vacuum pack it. Let's do that too if God tells us to. But that isn't going to hold us together, is it? That's not going to hold us together. What's going to hold us together is what's in our hearts for each other. That's where true sustainability is going to come. True life that's going to live on, even past our own lives. So I would, I would recommend that in this season we examine ourselves and say, Lord, are there cracks in my vessel? So easy for tensions to come in. We can get frustrated with each other. We get frustrated about the quarantine requirements and, oh, brother, and this and that that we have to deal with. And some get frustrated that, you know, we're making too big of a deal out of this. And others get frustrated that other people won't be responsible. And the rest of us suffer when somebody won't care about others more than they care about themselves. And and we start to feel like, well, thanks a lot, and, and we're no longer bearing with each other. We're no longer long-suffering. We're losing a little bit of that feeling. And then the devil just adds in the distance, spaces out our meetings, spaces out our ability to even see each other, and that's the perfect recipe for... Uh, they haven't called me in a long time, you know. They probably don't even care about me. I don't think anybody even remembers I exist anymore. And I hope you can smile at that one. But really, you know, and it's day after day, and it's the grind and, and everything. But can we turn that back in our enemy's face? Can we, can we resolve to wake up? And recognize the signs of stupor and the, the cracks of, of fission and division that, that he wants to sow among us? And can we instead say, Lord, I know if I'm feeling like this, I wonder how Sister So-and-So is doing over there cooped up, never getting to a meeting. Maybe I should call her and reach out and let her know I'm thinking about her. 
you know there could be a thousand ways to apply what I'm saying, right? We can turn this out. We can exercise our senses. We can exercise our love. We can stir up the gift that lies within us, and we can stir up one another to love and to good works. Do you feel the hope in that? Do you feel the challenge in it? John says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. If you want to know if you're still in the life of God, check your heart and see what you feel. How much love? How much appreciation? How much burden? How much care? How much concern is alive and operating in your heart? And how much of it has just gone into automatic, going through the motions, autopilot, I'm living on principle and doing the right thing and saying the right thing, but I don't feel it anymore. It's grown cold. I'm getting a little lukewarm. Praise God for opportunities like tonight to fan it to flame. Amen? So we're trying to obey that scripture and make the most of every opportunity. Amen? And not forsake the gathering together of ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. I looked up uh, anesthesia, you know, which is to dull the pain. That's, that's the world's answer to the situations, right, is let's find something that dulls the pain through distraction, through uh, sleep, through drugs, through alcohol, through the lust of the flesh, you name it. Let's find something to get us into the gray zone where it doesn't hurt as bad. We don't have to face it. Amen. I looked that up, but what I looked it up for is I wanted to know what are the antonyms to anesthesia. So I looked it up in the dictionary. You know what the antonyms to anesthesia are? I was a little surprised. The antonyms that the dictionary gave me to anesthesia were care, concern, consciousness, sensitivity, awareness, sympathy, and feeling. Hallelujah. The antidote to that gray, stupor, sleep, whatever. Start caring about others, about God. Become sensitive and aware. That's what we've got to maintain. Thank you, Jesus. And then that's going to hold us together. It's going to make us a shelter in the time of storm. Let's be our brother's keeper. And then the world is going to see that we're not alone. The isolation plan didn't work. Amen. And then we're not going to feel like when we wake up in the morning, we're not going to say, uh, it's another day, why am I doing this? We're going to say, one, two, three, blast off. It's the first day of the rest of my life, and even though it's dark, the world is still going to see the light. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.